Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, November 30th, 2012. Today we're reading from the Big Book, Chapter 6, Into Action, page 73, the first full paragraph beginning with More Than Most People. Today's readers are Monica, Sarah, Kim, Paula, and Sharon. And the share code for yesterday, that's Thursday, November 29th, 3420. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Miriam to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. This is Miriam calling from Israel. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powers over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will life over to the care of God. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overreaders and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And without a pass, thank you very much. Thank you, Miriam. I will now call on Melanie to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning. My name is Melanie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, 
Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book, Chapter 6, Into Action, we're on page 73, that first full paragraph, beginning with more than most people. And I will ask Monica to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much of the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him as fast as he can. He pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. The alcoholic leads a double life. A double life, being a hypocrite, saying one thing and doing another. And um, this double life here 
you know, I can relate to this too. You know, and it takes a lot of, a lot of energy to try to lead this double life and try to maintain looking good on the outside and being and feeling horrible about yourself in the inside. You know, we we pay quite a price for uh, for this low life that we we are trying to hide. And it's and it's hard to be something we're not. And, and therefore we get restless, irritable and discontented. And what do we do? We use food. We use our food and and we try to bury that fear and tension um with with our food. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Star one to unmute. This is Paula Mashia. Hi, this is from New York. Paula, go ahead, and then we'll take the others. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. Uh, seems to be echoing a bit. This is Paula. Um, well, it sounds like I'm echoing here. I don't know how it's coming across. Um, Paula, there's no, ec- no echo. Oh, okay. okay, then it's only me listening to me. Hmm, that double life again. That inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his spree. And I was looking at that word inconsistency. It's uh, not exhibiting consistent sentiments or conduct. Well, that's it. I couldn't do it the same all the time. It was always one way or the other. I would say one thing and do another. As was just stated, a double life. And as it was also stated, it is so draining to lead a double life. How was I yesterday? What was I yesterday? And those nightmares, those nightmares that you're living, you're not dreaming them anymore. That is your life now. And then it says there, he trembles to think someone might have observed him. Because, see, this is the part we want hidden. It's the strangest thing. The one we want hidden is the one most evident to others. But since it's deep inside us, we we fool ourselves and think, oh, they don't see that part. They do see it. And after a while, we look at them and we see that they see it. See, that's it. As long as we think it's hidden, but it isn't hidden anymore. And what does that cause? That vicious cycle, we go back again. And isn't that what it says? He is under constant, not every now and then, did they see me? Oh, they did see me. No, they didn't see, but maybe tomorrow they'll see me. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes, and there it is, for more drinking. And the cycle begins? No, it just never ends. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else on what was read? My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll comment on this. Um, it says here, he trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. It's constant conflict and constant collision in in the in the disease. Um, 
you know, it takes, as as Paula stated, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to create a mask, to create this uh, fraud, this phoniness that we project upon others. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. takes a lot of energy. Uh, We suffered from this anxious apartness, you know, when we're in disease. We really never feel a part of. (laughs) We are are separated, Um, separated from God, separated from others, um, separated really from our true essence. So we're studying here about step five. Step five is, is truly the emergence where we're beginning to come out of that darkness uh, we're going to speak about our exact, you know, nature of the wrongs we've done uh, with others, and we're going to come out of the darkness, and we do that by speaking the truth about ourselves. You know, we do that about speak- by speaking about the truth about ourselves, because this truth is going to set us free. It's going to take us out of that darkness and begin to shine uh, a light upon us in our lives. With that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Hi, this is Nancy from New York. Can you hear me? We'll have Janice and then Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So I love that the big book describes me to myself describes me to myself because this is the part of me that needed to be brought up to the light. This is the part of me that was operating at full speed. You know, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life, a double life. You know, trying to pretend, trying to imagine this person with self-confidence and and in control, and that was what I tried to let the world see. You know, to the outer world, I presented this stage character, this stage character. But inside myself, I knew that what I was projecting to other people or trying to project to other people was not true. And, you know, the greatest gift, we like to say in my meeting, the greatest gift we have is knowing ourselves, knowing ourselves, because I can't do a thing about the stuff I'm not aware of. But with that awareness, came a great deal of pain. And every time I'd be aware of it, I'd try to stuff it back down again. And to live under that kind of tension, it says, you know, constant fear and tension. Constant fear and tension. You know, that made for more compulsive overeating for me. You know, as fast as I could, I tried to push those memories. You know, I would have memories of myself. I would have... You know, I had that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality. You know, lest you get between me and my food, you know, I would be a totally different person. And then when I was trying to be abstinent, trying to control my food, you know, to enjoy and control my eating is the great obsession of every compulsive overeater, and that was me. But when I was trying to control it, I couldn't enjoy it. And so I was operating under abstinence. And as Kim so beautifully put it yesterday, I had to be abstinent all the time. All the time. And it was an impossibility. It was an impossibility. 
And so I was constantly in fear and tension and trying to present myself to the world as this person who had it all together and trying to control my family and those closest to me because I was under fear all the time and tension. And the big book is describing me so beautifully, describing me to myself. And this is the way that I would live if I didn't work these steps. There was no middle-of-the-road solution for me. You know, I had to take action now. I'd been making this inventory. I'd been getting down to causes and conditions. I had all these things written down, but it wasn't going to do me any good unless I was ready to do this next step, which was to admit to myself, to God, and to another human being who I was. And I had no idea the freedom that was going to bring me. I had no idea. But the big book is showing me exactly what I can expect if I stay in that place. And that is not where I live today. Thank you, God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Nancy, please. Nancy from New York. I'm I'm going to make this quick because I'm on a train platform. But I think this ties in. I'm in recovery, been in recovery for 37 years. Thank God, by the grace of God, I lead a healthy life today. And I work, the only first step I have to work, the only step I have to work perfectly is the first step. And I just want to say this. Yesterday when they said, I hung on to the humility, fearlessness, and honesty. And I think if we work those three words, and live that in our life, try to be as honest as we can, and be fearless. Don't be afraid, because there's always somebody out there that can help you, whether it's someone else in the program, whether it's just talking to people you've never met on the phone, to have, to be, to have faith that there are people out there that can help you, whether it's a psychiatrist, a priest, a rabbi. We can always talk about any uncomfortability we may have in our lives, and we can be honest about who we are, again, the essence. And that's why you have to respect people for their honesty, but it is... Um, can be a cruel world, so you have to find a safe place. And all I know is that a day at a time, I'm a great, very grateful participant in the 12 steps and 12 traditions, an American citizen, and a person of faith. And I want to send out my love to you from New York. God bless you, and let's just keep this, keep it keeping on. God bless you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Anyone else? Hi, my name is Lori. I'd like to share. Um, <laughs> right ahead. Go, go ahead, Lori. Please. Hi, I'm a compulsive overeater, and um, I have 107 days in recovery. And this meeting, I just want to say, is wonderful. And then what I wanted to say is the part about um, wondering if people do see, um, like, we're under constant scrutiny um, and how when they were talking about conflict, I just remember coming to work late all the time. Like, I never made this connection before, the coming to late with my overeating, but I used to um, always get to work late, and I was always in a fog in the morning. And sometimes I almost drove off the road because I was, like, falling asleep behind the wheel. And um, just living that double life and wondering, did that, does anybody see when I walked in? And, you know, just living that double a double life. You want to be projected as someone who's on time and this and that. And me, I can barely <laughs> find my way to my desk. And I just never saw this. 
I don't know. I just I'm seeing this in a new light. Um, that all this, you know, the being late and stuff, and and my eating is connected. So I just I'm just grateful for like the insight that I see this morning. You know, I forgot that I almost drove off the road many times because you know I was just out of it, and um, I just wanted to thank you for letting me share an LPS. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments on what was read before we move on? Hi, this is Hello, this is Rachel calling you this time from Massachusetts. May I share? Rachel, go ahead, and then there were others as well. Go ahead, Rachel. I I am so grateful that this program is here. New England weather never agreed with me, but my grandson's wedding does. And I'm here for for a little while. Uh, these two par- paragraphs uh, speak to me on a level that um, is not even um, the the gap between who I am and who I try to present outside. It's bad enough having the gap between who I am and who I want who I want to be from the inside, and never never measuring up to what my whatever crazy perfectionist standards um, are. So even that tension itself of being constantly under the criticism and the surveillance of that, what do you want to call it, alter ego or this really unreachable standards that who I think I ought to be, that itself, that tension itself can, can kill and, and send into the food um uh, and and even as considering what how much time there will be in a lesson if i was teaching to to transmit to the children if i did not manage to give all that i prepared because it was not realistic as far as the time even that could cause tension but then the, there was this concept of women especially and i i really know it about myself thinking all the time, therefore, that you're a fraud, that I'm a fraud if I don't do what I set out to do. And this is, I know now, through working the program and, and coming to some level of acceptance of my, my humanness, that, that this is inviting trouble and has to be let go. And, um, and uh, even on that level, just between me and myself, having that tremendous gap is very painful, and I, I must admit, uh, gratefully say that I see some change in that, and it's a lot thanks to our program and the way that we've been doing it here on Vision for You, because um, before I thought that step five, and I did it a few times in my life, is to tell about all the terrible things that people did to me, and that never helped me until I got down to the to this this specific character defect. Of, of of never being able to to say enough to what you can accomplish in a in a day and things are a little better now and thank you so much and I pass. Thank you. Anyone else? This is Kim. Kim, go right ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning everyone. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This is overwhelming, this paragraph, you know. He is under constant, constant fear and tension. 
just as, as a reminder, we have a twofold disease. You know, we have this allergy of the body and we have this obsession of the mind. You know, we have this allergy of the body that requires us, once we ingest certain foods, to keep ingesting them and ingesting them and ingesting them. But the greater part of our disease is once we stop, once we get up that willpower, we have this obsession of the mind that's going to bring us back. So the reason I'm under constant fear and tension is not because I thought, well, if I get out of the food, I'll be okay. I'll get, if I get out of the food, I'll be okay. That's a smaller part of my disease. The reason I'm under constant fear and tension is because I don't know how to live abstinently. Abstinence is so painful. And why is it so painful? Because it says here, coming to my senses, which means I'm coming out of that food fog. He is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. So when we're abstinent, we have to deal with the consequences of our behavior. And that's terrifying. So what does it say? As fast as he can, he pushes his memories far inside himself. And how did I do that? As it says in the big book, two shots in oblivion. You know, two guys of whatever, and I'm in oblivion. I push those memories down. So that's why I'm under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. Because if I'm abstinent only, I'm simply an untreated compulsive overeating. An untreated compulsive overeating is very painful. It's very painful. He trembles to think that someone might have observed him. I'm starting to, to understand in this fourth step how I am the architect of my own misery. That the bottles were just a symptom. And I can't, I can't live with that. I can't live with the consequences of my behavior. Being abstinent is too, uh, it's too, it's reality. And I don't like reality. So it says here he's under constant fear and tension, and that makes one more drinking. And that's why these steps are oh so necessary, because it's all these blockages that we've put between us and God that's going to leave us in constant fear and tension. And these steps will clear away those blockages so we can once again feel that sunlight of the Spirit. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Now we'll move on to the next paragraph with Sarah, please. Good morning. This is Sarah, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. I'm smiling as I read this because the big book is so um, is so incredibly um, accurate at their description that I'm really going to be honest, my husband's in the room with me and he's laughing too because it's so true. <laughs> and, you know, we we somehow can sit in a room and, you know, what's so interesting is that when I remember sitting in therapy therapist's office and, you know, presenting myself like the victim of life and what these steps, you know, and... and and not really presenting the whole truth, because what's the whole truth? Where's my part? And, you know, poor me, and and how it's messed up my thinking, and I can't 
and I don't know how to manage life, and somehow self-knowledge, you know, we know Roland Hazard in that story earlier on when he goes to meet Carl Jung, and self-knowledge is going to solve my problem, and I'll understand the workings of my mind and human behavior and blah, blah. And the what step five, and, you know, this is what we're, we're moving into is step five is taking this inventory and sharing it with um and and seeing my part and seeing you know where had I gone off taking my personal inventory and what was so liberating in that process was that you know when I gave over that step five and I was still thinking of myself as like somehow the martyr and and the manipulator and how I like if if only everybody would have done what I wanted I had um I hadn't fully, fully understood my part. Yes, I had I had admitted my part, I had seen my part, but I hadn't fully really admitted and seen. And step five, really um, giving it over to a recovered um, sponsor who was able to show me where I had gone off and was able to disclose, you're only as sick as your secrets, and she just totally exposed, she exposed, all the deepest, darkest secrets of my whole thinking in ways that I couldn't do on my own. I couldn't do it on my own. And just, um, and it's just, it's, and the psychologist, and, and earlier on in the big book, it says how we were inhibited from sharing with, you know, doctors don't understand us, or family members don't understand us. Nobody wants to understand us, but it's, it's somehow through this program, through the power of the experience of the transformation that's happened in others that is then passed on, the, the, the hope that, that this is possible for me too, the willingness to really ex- be exposed, the vulnerability of exposure, the, 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 the truth, Kim says it all the time, the truth shall set you free, and I'll tick you off in the process, um, but it's just we the lie of just sitting in that office and not following their advice and then um not willing to be honest with these sympathetic men that so many people had tried to help me but they didn't know really know me because I didn't let them know me because I was too living the image I was too busy trying to be the director of life too busy trying to be the one who was controlling everyone and everything, because somehow I know the two, I I really have come to believe that the two most dangerous words that I live with are I know, because maybe I don't know, and I need to humble myself and really be fearless and honest and be vulnerable, be willing to be vulnerable and exposed in order to truly recover. And that's what step five did for me. It, it, I had the willingness to expose the deepest, darkest, most painful secrets of my life and set myself free and let God set me free. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Nicole. Nicole, go ahead. Hi, Leah. Hi, Vision for you. This is Nicole, gratefully, gratefully, recovering compulsive overeater. Like everyone else, these paragraphs really hit home. And um, I smile, too, because I think for for so long, not only did I think that I was 
projecting a different Nicole to the outside world. I was actually projecting her to myself too. I never sought help when I was in the food because I honestly didn't think there was anything wrong with me. Um, But I see here where it says unwilling to be honest. I did not realize how dishonest I was. And, you know, when I look, when I look back over my life now, I think, now I understand why I tried to hide everything that didn't match up with the person I wanted to be, where it says that we hide these memories far inside of ourselves and we hope they never see the light of day. But you know what happens? We take these character defects um, that we have no idea what to do with, or I will say, I took my character defects that I had no idea what to do with, and I buried them. And it's much like the person that instead of dealing with the junk on their property, they just bury it in the ground, thinking that no one else will see it and that they can even forget about it. But you know what happens when you bury junk in the ground? Eventually you start to poison the ground. You poison the groundwater. You might even create a sinkhole because that junk is going to decompose at a different rate than the soil is, you know, compacting itself. And so eventually the qualities of what we're burying comes out. It stinks. And what I think I tried to do in my life is I tried to deal with the stinkiness of it instead of digging up what was buried and disposing of it properly. And so that really takes honesty. And I know when I was working with my sponsor, at first doing step four and five, you know, it was like I was discovering something I didn't even know was there. Just digging, digging, digging. Wow, here's something that I don't like. Okay, God, can can you help me with this? And telling my sponsor about it was the most liberating thing I think I've ever done in my entire life. I'll just share one last thing. My sponsor did something very funny to me that her sponsor did to her. And after I shared my whole inventory with her, she said to me, okay, so what's the the last thing that you didn't write down? And I started to cry. (laughs) So she dragged out of me the very last of what was buried. And just like we read previously, it was the worst. Thing, but I just didn't have the ability to write it down. But she, in her great compassion, just gently asked me, okay, so what's the last thing that you didn't write down that you need to tell me? And what a relief to recognize that these things can be dealt with and don't have to be buried, and the light of God is what truly, truly heals. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mascia. Yes, Paula. Thank you. I want to go right down to this word here. I'm going to scoot right to unwilling, to be honest. We know this must be a program of willingness. So here we see a stop lock. Why? Because we don't see willingness here. We see unwilling, to be honest, with these sympathetic men. Now, they're not even coming at them to attack. You know, they're not coming at them with accusations. I mean, they're sympathetic. They're trying to understand. They're being there for you. Nothing negative here. And then it goes on. 
we were honest with no one else. It wasn't. It didn't stop here at this office. It went on into life. It went on into family. It went on into friends. It went on into job with no one else. You know, did it not say in, in a couple of paragraphs before, but they had not learned enough. They had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty. They needed to learn more here. And what does it say? Small wonder. Like, gee, do you wonder? Many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Because we sit there and we lie. Oh, I know I would go in the meetings. Oh, my goodness. Always the same way. Always looking nasty. And they would turn around and and I said, well, I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything I can. It's obvious it's a lie. But I wanted them to believe the lie and I wanted to believe the lie. And there again, the lack of honesty and the unwillingness. Until those are transformed to a willingness to see it as it is, not as I would have it, not as I would wish it, but this is as it is, then the work begins. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else on this paragraph? My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says here, we have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Um you know, this is a case of self-will run riot. We're still holding on to self. You know, we we think we're looking for freedom, um, but freedom isn't free. Freedom is not free. It says, unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Uh, again, you know, how free do you want to be? This is going to take willingness. It says, unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men. We were honest with no one else. Freedom's going to take <laughs> take some things. We're going to have to pay up. You know, we're going to have to pay up. Freedom takes responsibility. Freedom takes willingness. Freedom takes willingness. It's a, I, I have to be willing to come out of that darkness. You know, you can't get away from willing. This self-centered behavior of ours blocks us off from a partnership from a relationship with any of those around us. And, and of course, it blocks us from God. When we wrestle with life on, on a self-basis, on self-will run riot, we cut ourselves off from God and cut ourselves off from other people. It says, small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. You know, because we will sit there, as my old friend used to say, and lie and cry and look you in the eye. You know, uh, and and no darn well that not we are not giving up the goods. We are not revealing the truth about our behavior. We're not revealing the truth about our actions. It's so easy for us to point the finger and to blame our childhood and to blame our spouses and to blame the circumstances and situations of our life when to get over compulsive overeating is going to require a transformation of thoughts and attitudes. And in order to be available for that transformation, I have to get honest. I have to get honest. I have to be humble. We have to be fearless, and we have to be honest about the true nature 
of the way we think and the true nature of our actions. All actions are born in thought. If we keep pointing the finger, we're pointing at the wrong at the wrong people. You know, the war is within ourselves. The war is within ourselves, and others cannot help us if we're not willing to admit that. And with that, I pass. Anybody else want to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning. This is Margaret from South Jersey. Margaret, your turn. Margaret, go ahead, please. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, thinking about when I went to get counseling. I wanted a solution, and I wanted to get counseling. And, and you know, I look at it. I look at what the counselor told me today. It was just the right answer, but I refused to see it. I refused to see it, and I, I was so stubborn in my believing that I had the right answer. I just suffered and suffered and suffered, and of course, made everybody else suffer around me. And now today, I think about it. And it was just a matter of shifting to look at a different angle as we're taught here. That could have just saved so much because I was so um, trapped in my own thinking, in my own way of looking at things. There was no way out. And yet, when I look back, like I said, the solution was so simple. And today I could pick up that solution in a minute. But at that point when I was so trapped in my own thinking, and wasn't willing to look at anything from a, a different angle. You know, I just con- just continued to suffer and continue. And, of course, then it took me back to compulsive eating, and, you know, the merry-go-round just went on. So, I mean, thank God today we are instructed to look at things and to um, – we have an opportunity, as I said on this line, we have an opportunity to look at something from a different angle and to self save ourselves from so many self-imposed crises. I mean, that's just – a miracle, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Kim, please. Kim, press star one to unmute. Sorry, Leah, I was halfway through the paragraph at that point. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose this person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and, of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for his closed mouth and understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at someone else's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. I read a lot there, 
Um, but one of the reasons, oh, this is Kim, a compulsive overeater. But one of the reasons I did that is because when this book was published in 1939, you know, that first 100, the reason that they wrote this book was so this book could be mailed out to someone in Kansas and Washington State and Illinois and New Mexico, and someone could grab this book, walk through these instructions, and become recovered. So the assumption was that these people would not have access to recovered people. They would not have access to Bill and Bob in the first 100. So when they got to the fifth step, you had to, they had to show or, or explain or teach what is, the, what is the type of person that you want to give your fifth step to. And what's incredibly beautiful right now is we don't need to do this. We have access to recovered people on this line in our area and other, and other fellowships that we can give our, our fifth step to. So this is a beautiful instruction for people who do not have access to recovered people, but we do. So I'm just going to look at that first sentence. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. You know, we must. You know, we keep saying that, you know, these, these 12 steps are suggestions, but we must be entirely honest. I mean, to write this fourth step and then choose not to tell someone everything that's in it, you know, and I know, I mean, the whole point of this 12-step program, right, is to connect with God. So if I, if my, the point is to connect with God. If I tell God, why do I need to tell another person? You know, but it said we must be entirely honest with someone if we want to live long or happily in this world. And, you know, when I first came into OA, all I wanted was to fit in the size 16. That's all I wanted. Living happily, I, no, 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 give me the diet, I just want to be thin. Give me the diet, I just want to be thin. But because we've gone through these steps, because we've gone through admitting we're powerless, looking for that power, making that decision, and now looking at our fourth step and seeing that we're the architect of our own misery, I want to live long and happily in this world. I want to learn how to live abstinent and still be happy, joyous, and free. And that's why this step is so essential. We need to get back connected with our fellows and with the world. And that's what these steps will do. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone like to comment on these paragraphs? Star one to unmute. Could I check? Um, could you check the page number for me? You're on now at this time. We are on page seventy-four. Okay. Anyone like to comment on these paragraphs? This is Sarah. Can I share? Of course. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Um, so when I was working the steps, so I could not take my fifth step with the person who had taken me through steps one through four. And it took me months. The The criteria that I was told was that it had to be woman-to-woman, face-to-face. And it had to be with someone that I trust. And trust was such a difficult issue for me. It was such a difficult issue for me. And it was because here it says... Um, Rightly and naturally, we think well before just with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. This intimate and confidential step, it's, this is, um, you know, and I, 
it, this is a step that it's not just about, you know, reading off a whole list. This is about exposure. This is about disclosing my innermost self. And and now, like, this is a crossroad. And I personally, I think, I personally think that this is a crossroad in the steps of, um, you know, each step is slowly, slowly walking me away from a sick, distorted thinking mind and is ex- shining new light. It's like it's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn doesn't just, you know, the sunlight doesn't just, sh- you know, show up. It's gradual because if it would come too quick, I'd go blind. It's just too much. So the steps are also a gradual process that are slowly exposing myself to new light. And that person needed to be somebody with a level of humility that I could feel safe with them and not revert back to um, that lie of that double life of, you know, feeling like I need to, you know, present myself in a certain way. But it also needed to be somebody who was understanding and who would be able to help me see my part, who would help me be able to to uncover and um, my character defects that I'm going to need to stare at and look at and be willing to let go of. And it took me such a long time till I found somebody that I could trust to to do this life-altering step. And when I did, indeed, it was life-altering. Never, ever, ever had I had an experience like I did when taking this step. And I really, I personally believe that it's, um, you know, it says somewhere else in the big book and I, and I, um, that it's better to meet God alone than with someone who might not understand. That it's, I believe that it's worth waiting to do this step with the right person than risk doing it with the wrong person. And because this is, this is a person who's going to um, help me on a journey of transformation. And it's, personally, I think this is such an important decision to make. And for me, it's also a call to be a person that somebody, and I think that recovery really calls upon a person to to be the kind of person that it's safe for a person to do this with, to ha- to be closed mouth, to be understanding, and to be also discerning to help people see what they may not be able to see for themselves. So there's so much here in that one sentence that. Um, not just about who we choose, but who we're going to be when we do this with someone else. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else on on this paragraph? This, this is paragraph. Janice. Janice, your turn. This is Linda. I'd like to share. Thank you, Leah. Oh, this is Janice, and I am a compulsive overeater recovered. Thank you, God. You know, rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Intimate and confidential. But I think what the big book 
showed me here in these paragraphs and reminded me is that I had a spiritual malady. You know, I had a twofold disease, yes. I had an allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, but in the end, what was going to help me and be absolutely necessary was a spiritual connection. And so the person that I tell this to, that I share this with, also needs to be someone who understands that spiritual connection, who perhaps has that spiritual connection themselves and is in recovery. That would be the best possible person to share this with, someone who has already done this step and is willing to hear my fifth step. But other than that, even if we don't have an established religion, oftentimes there are people in our communities who are in a religious community who have that spiritual connection themselves and who are willing to hear fifth step. That's always a good opportunity as well even though they may not be a compulsive overeater or a recovering alcoholic, they still have that spiritual connection themselves. The best possible for me was someone who understood me inside and out because they shared this with me. So another compulsive overeater who was recovered is the best possible person for me to share my fifth step with. But if I don't have that person, then there are other people in other fifth steps or in other uh, um 12-step recovery programs who might be available and also someone in a religious community who might also already be hearing this step. There was someone here in my city, a wonderful, wonderful minister who ended up hearing thousands of this step and became known for that. He loved alcoholics. He loved alcoholics, was not a recovered alcoholic himself, but had that spiritual connection and that understanding. And that's what we're looking for here because it is a very intimate and confidential step. And so we don't take this lightly as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Linda, you wanted to comment on these paragraphs, I believe. Hi, I'm Linda from Connecticut, and I am recovered. Thank you, God. Um, I wanted to remark about being a sponsor on the other end of it. The first time I was the sponsee, and I was scared to death. And what an advantage that was, because I spilled the beans. Uh, But on the other end, having gone through the process and sponsoring, um, there is nothing that you can say to a sponsor, an experienced sponsor, who has that spiritual connection. Nothing you can say is going to shock them into shaming you or uh, rejecting you. I, I've heard it all, I think, and, and, and this is not a country club addiction. I, there are people uh, who have been prostitutes. There are people who um, have been incest survivors, many of those in the program, and uh, people who have raped or been raped. There's all kinds of terrible woundings, and that's why we need God. I had sort of intermediate woundings, and they were bad enough, but... A good sponsor, a capable sponsor, is not a shaming person. So if you have something, uh, anyone out there who has something and they're afraid and they think, well, I'm the one, I can't say this. I mean, these people won't understand. Uh, Not true. We'll understand. Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who shared this morning.
Thank you to everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, are you available to please read a vision for you? I am available. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you.